0: It's the early hours of a Sunday morning in December 1890. According to later newspaper reports, a person who police officers view as male is arrested on Kearney Street in San Francisco. This person's crime? Being clad in a complete woman's outfit. When arrested, this person, who today would likely be accepted as a transgender woman, gives her name as Betty Portel and is hit with the maximum sentence, six months in jail for wearing women's clothing in public. Part 1, the history of pride. In San Francisco in 1863, as part of an anti-indecency campaign, the city adopted a law that criminalized a person appearing in dress not belonging to his or her sex. This law remained in effect for 111 years. It's August 1966. San Franciscan trans women, drag queens and transvestites had been hanging out at Copton Cafeteria for years. But recently, Compton Café staff have begun harassing their trans patrons and calling the police on them due to concerns from management that trans patrons are causing them to lose more desirable business. This has led to a rise in arrests of trans women under anti-cross-dressing laws. The night of the Compton Cafeteria riot is one such night. The police arrive and an officer grabs one one of the the queens queens, and she threw her coffee in his face. Someone had thrown coffee in his face and there was tables turned over The confidence erupted. People started throwing everything they could get their hands on at the police. All of the sugar shakers went through the windows and the glass doors. I think I put a sugar shaker through one of those windows. The hustlers kicked the police and punched them, and the drag queens beat them with their heavy purses. The cops retreated outside to call for backup, but cafeteria customers, maybe 60 in all, poured into the streets through the broken doors and windows and kept fighting as the paddy wagons pulled up. Before it was over, a police car was destroyed, the corner newsstand was set on fire, and years of pent-up resentment boiled out into the night. It was the first known instance of collective, militant, queer resistance to police harassment in United States history. It's June 28th, 1969 in the USA. For years, police raids on gay bars have been conducted frequently, and arrests are made based on laws against cross-dressing and against homosexual sexual conduct. Those hardest hit are transgender people, butch lesbians, effeminate gay men, and drag queens. In the early morning hours around 1am, police officers raid the Stonewall Inn in New York City. Standard procedure is to line up the patrons, check their identification, and have female police officers take customers dressed as women to the bathroom to verify their sex, upon which any people appearing to be physically male are arrested. Butch lesbians and trans men are patted down by male police officers, and if judged to be female, suffer the same fate. This night though, things are different. After decades of arrests and harassment, queer folk are fed up. Those who are not arrested are let outside, but this night, instead of going home as usual, these other patrons gather around the outside of the bar, refusing to leave. A butch lesbian, identified by eyewitnesses later as Stormy De Veri, is handcuffed for wearing men's clothing and is escorted to a waiting police wagon. She tries to escape and a police officer hits her on the head with a baton. Dazed and angry, she yells out at the crowd, Why don't you guys do something? As an officer grabs her and heaves her into the back of the wagon. The crowd erupts, coins, rocks and beer bottles are thrown at the cops and the tires on the police wagons are slashed. The officers barricade themselves inside the Stonewall Inn and call for reinforcements. The New York City Tactical Patrol Force respond and arrive to free the police trapped inside the Stonewall Inn. The skirmish transforms into a full-blown riot and people are injured on both sides. By 4 a.m. the streets are quiet once again, but not for long. News of the riot spreads, and the next night thousands of people gather outside the Stonewall Inn, including hundreds of police officers. A second riot breaks out. Gay and trans rights activist Marsha P. Johnson climbs up a lamppost and drops a bag with a brick in it down on a police car, shattering the windshield. The riot carries on for hours and makes news headlines around the state. One year later, in New York, San Francisco and LA, the first ever pride marches are held in commemoration of the Stonewall riots. In the US, pride marches continue to be held on this anniversary of LGBT folks fighting back against police violence. Homosexuality remains illegal in many states under state sodomy laws for years to come. It's 1982, USA. A 29-year-old bartender in Atlanta, Georgia is arrested for engaging in oral sex with another man in his own home. He contends his case and it reaches all the way up to the United States Supreme Court. The court dismisses his contention and his arrest is deemed legal. He is sent to prison for more than 12 months for going down on a consenting adult man in the privacy of his own home. It's January 1986. In New Zealand, sex between two men is a crime punishable by imprisonment. In the past 25 years, nearly 1,000 gay men have been convicted of homosexual activity. Many of these men are still alive today and are engaged in events for and by rainbow communities in Aotearoa. It's September 1998, USA. Two adult men are engaging in consensual sexual acts in a private apartment. Police officers burst in unannounced following reports of a man wielding a gun in the neighborhood. The two men are promptly arrested for sodomy. They contend the case, and after five years of going through the judicial system, in 2003, the US Supreme Court finally rules in favour of the men and strikes down the last remaining US sodomy laws. It's January 2018, New Zealand. The men convicted and imprisoned on charges of homosexual acts still have a criminal record. For the 1,000 men arrested on charges of homosexuality, if applying for a job relating to caring for children or teaching people under the age of 18, they can still be flagged on police records as being potentially unsafe to work with children due to having a criminal history, even though the law they were convicted under no longer exists. There's these huge tragedies where people's lives were ruined, people couldn't get jobs, People who could potentially have had substantial careers were unemployed for years and years. Even those who weren't convicted under homophobic laws, but who grew up in a time when such laws were in place, were also affected by them. In a world where the law says you're evil, and it backs it up with a popular prejudice, then when parents are saying you're evil too, you tend to believe it. You believe you're evil yourself. You become a bit of a shadow. The constant fear and the reminder of the worthlessness and the shame of your mere existence is not something we can put away so easily, because it echoes through generations. The first Pride was the anniversary of a riot against police brutality. The chant from LGBT activists, no cops at Pride, isn't just a whim because some queers decided that we don't like cops. It's because the spirit of pride itself is about fighting back against the arm of force and state legitimized violence of the legal system, called the police. Now police stations have rainbow liaisons and commitments to diversity and rainbow police cars. <laughs> Welcome to New Zealand, where up until a few years ago, many men still had a criminal record of homosexuality that could be divulged to employers. But the cops have rainbows on their cars now, so everything's fine, right? 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 No, oh. No, that's not how that works, but that was before my time. We got rid of those laws. It's different now. People who are directly affected by those laws are still very much alive and still very much going to pride. And do you think from the bottom of your soul that there's no more discriminatory laws that cops uphold? I could write a novel about how the legal system and the institution of policing harms poor and low income and unhoused people wildly disproportionately to wealthy people, but that's a video for another time. If you're a police officer and you want to come to Pride, take the day off. Take off your uniform and come in Mufti. Mufti is plain clothes for all my US friends. If you're a cop and you insist on marching in the parade and police uniform, think about why that's important to you. It's my opinion that that is disrespectful to the memory of Pride and to the memory of all those people of gender and sexual minorities who have suffered harms at the hands of the justice system. And why do you think after years of police upholding often violently racist and homophobic and transphobic laws that would welcome them with open arms? Our communities are healing, and having those who represent the institutions that dealt out this abuse to the communities try to weasel their way into a march that literally commemorates an instance of such police violence is unacceptable. I personally don't have beef with any individual police officer. I do think it's insulting and ahistorical for cops in uniform to attend pride celebrations as representatives of the institution of policing. The cops who insist on inserting themselves into pride against the wishes of the majority of people in rainbow communities are by that very insistence proving that they are not our allies. And a massive thank you to Brookstar. Kadwin Organa Nuth, Conrad, and Scout O'Keefe. 100% of this production's proceeds were donated to People Against Prisons Aotearoa.